1: Tough start, but we are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of Pistols Firing Podcast. You know who we are. We're watching live on YouTube, or you may be listening later on our audio platforms. We appreciate everyone being with us. Colby, we had uh, Zoom trouble last time with Kansas. Uh, thankfully, did not a whole lot to discuss there. We've got a lot to talk about, so much so that you didn't even know where to begin today. You tweeted me after the uh, the game that you don't even know where to start. I don't either, but... Somehow, some way, Oklahoma State gets a, gets a big win, and who knows what can happen the rest of the way. It was, uh, <laughs> there's been a lot of weird games in Stillwater over the years, but this one uh, definitely leaps towards the top of that list.
0: This is a game I feel like we're going to be talking about a decade from now. Like, you remember that day when Mike started his son because Spencer was hurt? You know, hurt in in quotations. And then all of a sudden, Spencer comes off the bench. It's like you see that uh, gif where the guy's driving down the road with the casket on the flatbed, and the guy gets up out of the casket. That's what it felt like with Spencer Sanders yesterday in Stillwater. Um, Carson, I told you last week that I thought Oklahoma State was going to win this game, and I didn't really have a good reason to feel that way. I couldn't even articulate why I felt that way. I just felt like, I don't know, this is the kind of game OSU wins. And boy, until Spencer Sanders came on the field, felt really bad about it five turnovers you get pretty much nothing out of them uh aside from one throw and one big play the offense was non-existent and then here comes Spencer quick touchdown drives go get a field goal boom game over I it was an absolutely just puzzling day in Stillwater great to come out on top but, man, there were there were so many things that happened between kickoff of that game and when it wrapped up that I I don't know how we even uh, rationalize and justify
1: some of the decisions that were made yesterday. No, and uh, let's I, – I told you we weren't going to try to do this on the show. Let's just try it anyway. We, you don't need to hear it. But, you know, earlier this week, uh, a guy named, by the name of Tyler Wheat um, made this great video including Stone Cold Steve Austin because – uh, let me let me just lay some background work here. So like I grew up during the attitude era of WWF at the time, not WWE. I was like the biggest fan of the rock you can ever imagine. And I, I just love wrestling gifts, I think they're hilarious on Twitter. And during election coverage, David Payne from News Nine cut what I thought was like a promo level of the, the rock. You know, The Rock was the best on the mic. David Payne was talking about how he makes his own tornado warnings, regardless of what anyone else thinks. And he, he basically called out some of the other meteorologists and I was like, well, I'm waiting for Damon Lane's music to hit like stone cold. And it turned, I I posted this video. Well, Tyler, uh, wheat made his own version and it seemed silly at the time. He's like, you know, look, what if Spencer Sanders music hits and Boone picking stadiums going nuts? He comes out for the blackout game. His video said that Sanders would start. That didn't happen, but this is basically what happened. Colby Sanders comes in the game Hits the rock, aka Iowa State, over the head with a steel chair. Just literally pulls the dead, lifeless body of OSU football from the jaws of defeat into the jaws of victory. And uh, I thought it was a hilarious video just before the game even happened. And then, sure enough, Colby—that's exactly exactly what happened. Spencer Sanders came in. His music hit. We thought he was out for the game. He did play one series when Gunner lost his, or one play when Gunner lost his helmet, but. It's kind of crazy how that video was made for comedy purposes. And literally Sanders put his cape on stone cold. Spencer Sanders saves the day.
0: Yeah. It's as if the entire team plays harder, plays better, plays with more confidence when he's out there. I I mean, Carson, how can anyone at this point look at Spencer Sanders as anything other than the savior of the Oklahoma offense? Because, We've now seen two weeks in a row what it looks like without him, and and I know some people were on him after the K State game and stuff because he did play that game. A clearly injured Spencer Sanders played that game against Kansas State. It went horribly wrong. I get that, but that, look what it looks like without him. I mean, Garrett Rangel goes out four turnovers last week. Gunner Gundy. I mean, he was doing what he could, but he he just the arm strength isn't there. The the elusiveness, the explosiveness, in the ground game isn't there. It, it just the offense is different with Spencer out there, and you felt it as soon as he came in the game. Oklahoma state felt it. Iowa state felt it. It's like, Oh, it's, it's Spencer time. And the defense started to back off. They were scared. Um, and they should have been because Spencer came out, scored 10 points. OSU wins the game. And I, I don't know what more you can say about him. He just, he just keeps performing in big moments. Uh, he was hurt throughout the week. I've uh, got a, a friend who's a professor in Stillwater said that he was shocked Spencer played uh, yesterday, that he he looked injured all week long and nobody thought that he was going to be able to take the field yesterday. So maybe it was like an in case of emergency situation, like emergencies only. I mean, you're fixing to lose to Iowa State at home for your third loss in a row. That's an emergency. So, uh, I mean, I guess that's how we that's how we we justify and rationalize what happened yesterday at the quarterback position it was an emergency case only and it turned into an emergency in Boone
1: Pickett Stadium yeah and I just what do we know about it Colby it's clearly it's a throwing shoulder Um, I just I I find it hard to believe that and and look I, I certainly understand football games are or three-and-a-half, four-hour wars on your body. I, I certainly understand the, the notion that maybe Sanders couldn't play for three-and-a-half to four hours. I I get that. But it just seems so on a whim, and, like, the, the story went that Sanders basically just said, can I get in the game? Uh, to me, this really vaults Spencer to – a different level for me just in terms of where he will be in the all-time quarterback list, just, sheer, just when it comes to sheer toughness. But before we get to that, Colby, I think it it's just another chapter in just a bizarre handling of quarterbacks by Mike Gundy and Stillwater. I just, I guess Rangel was sick. I Certainly, you know, more bad luck with injuries and, and guys being out. And, and Gunner certainly was overwhelmed, which we all expected him to be against what is a top 10 defense in the country. But just – it just seems like Gundy kind of just goes where the wind blows sometimes, Colby, without any rhyme or reason. Is that kind of what your notion was as you were watching it play out?
0: You know, I (laughs) – as I was watching it play out, yes. Today I feel actually a little bit different about it because I do think that it was very much just an emergency situation. Like we're only throwing it out there if it's an emergency. Rangel with the illness—that's bad luck. I mean, you you can tell the difference in arm strength between Rangel and, and Gundy. You can tell the difference uh, in you know explosiveness on the ground between Rangel and Gundy. Like it, Rangel's the better player. Uh, and and Gunner, he was okay. I mean, the one throw to John Paul was a great throw. He anticipated it early, knew he had man to man, got it out there and front of him and let him run underneath it and that was a big play I'm not taking anything away from that that was a big big play for this offense to do something and keep them in the game um but yeah he just you you knew that Oklahoma State wasn't going to win that game on the arm of Gunnar Gundy uh so at that point yeah it's an emergency you you bring Spencer Sanders in it it does feel like it was a little bit of guesswork um but like you said Spencer is just tough Man, that's that like, we've been talking about Spencer for the past couple weeks and I totally I totally understand where you were coming from, the idea that multiple parts of his body are hurt, he's got a future to worry about, and we might not see him play again in Oklahoma State. And I, I just couldn't believe it because man. That dude is competitive. And he said it last night after the game. He said, I'm 100% playing Bedlam. I'm too competitive to shut it down. Like, yeah, Whedon is Whedon and everybody's going to look at Whedon the way they do. But Spencer Sanders, to, to go from where he was with this fan base, I think a year ago, year and a half ago, to where he is now, he has earned at the very least the respect of the entire Oklahoma State fan base because he is willing to put his body on the line even when it's broken to go out and do what needs to be done. So just the the toughness and the level of respect I have for that kid and what he's done for Oklahoma State football is immense.
1: Yeah, like I said weeks ago, you know, dogs have that Spencer Sanders inside them, not vice versa. The guy is just a total gamer and I, it strikes me every time people talk about him, and there was some quotes from some of his teammates after the game. And I think one of the quotes was, you know, people just view him as this like mediocre quarterback. He's like, I view him as a baller. And I, and that's kind of where I'm at with Spencer. Like the stat sheet's not always going to be like the most crisp, efficient, you know, pleasant on the eyes, quarterback performance. It's He's not going to have the most passing yards in the Big 12 and the best – efficiency qbr and all those things but what you have is a guy who is just if you were just rolling a ball out on on an empty field and just starting picking guys who you want on your team you're picking spencer first i mean he's he's the guy that at recess his team never lost even if he didn't play that well he would just kind of will his team to win and i think that's what we saw against iowa state he was clearly still very hurt I thought they ran some good stuff. I thought that that kind of trickish type play they ran for the the go ahead touchdown was was brilliant. But he just Colby, he hadn't even thrown a warm up pass. He completes what? His first six passes and just the, the offense just look completely night and day from where it was the rest of the game and just again, it's never going to be this, you know, Baker Mayfield 78% completion percentage and the, like the highest QBR in in since 20, uh, since 2000 never going to be that with him What is what it is going to be with him is a guy that you know you can count on when the chips are down he's just going to go find a way to make a play he's going to improvise he's going to run he can throw he can it's just it's not always going to be pretty Colby but man the guy is just a freaking gamer and and you're right I think we are going to be talking about this game 10 years from now just because such a unique set of circumstances let alone the fact that the quarterback was the coach's son just, I don't ever remember, Colby, an instance where a quarterback is ruled out for a game and then comes in and wins it. I mean, I just, I, I can't recall that ever happening.
0: No, it's incredibly odd. And I think there's a good conversation happening uh, in the YouTube comments right now. The the comparison maybe isn't between Sanders and Whedon, but one of our listeners, where'd it go? Um, Nick Chavis says, do you think this pushes Spencer's legacy above Rudolph yet? Um, I, I do think that Spencer... In my Oklahoma State Cowboys. And maybe it's because of what I feel like is an emotional attachment to Spencer Sanders because of all the seemingly. Heroic, like chips are down. You just need one guy to be exceptionally special and go do something. And Spencer just seems to have done it a lot lately. I I don't know. Maybe it's just that. But yes, I I feel like Sanders, uh, for me, would rank ahead of Rudolph right now. Sanders has a Fiesta Bowl, uh, whereas whereas Rudolph doesn't. Uh, Neither one, as of now, have a Big Twelve Championship. Still don't know if Spencer will finish his career with one because we don't know how much longer his uh, career at Oklahoma State is going to last. It might be two more weeks in a bowl game. Uh, It might come back for another season next. Year, we, we've talked about we don't think that's going to happen, but you just never know. Um, he, he's given so much to Oklahoma State football, I don't know how much more he has to give, but yeah, for me, Carson, I think that I probably put him uh, at number two in terms of my hierarchy of Oklahoma State quarterbacks. And, and somebody else with a good question, too. Um, Bala, no, no, here goes. it goes. It was Nick again said, If Spencer plays behind a line like Whedon had, what do we think could happen? Special things. We think special, special things could happen. Um, He's overcoming a lot of things. So I I don't want to turn this into let's rip everyone else to give Spencer his credit. But Carson, we saw what the offense looked like against Kansas. We saw what it looked like for three quarters against Iowa State. It's different, and he's the reason.
1: Yeah, and I'm going to defend Mason quite a bit here because I feel like he dealt with a lot of the same issues with virtually no running game. And he didn't have the defense that Sanders had last year in winning the Fiesta Bowl. We can all admit Sanders played amazing in Notre Dame, but that defense literally drug the offense into that game and certainly into the big 12 championship game where let's face it, Sanders probably had his worst performance of his career. But I, I think it's a lot closer of a discussion than I ever dreamed it would be because as great as Mason was, there were so many big games and big moments that, that, he did not come up big. I I always go back to that bedlam interception in the back of the end zone. Um, you know, they lose three games that year in 2017, three of them at home. That's just that right, wrong, and different. That's gonna come that that's gonna be on the shoulders of the quarterback. But um, regardless, I just the difference with Spencer at quarterback versus what we saw this season. Uh, it's just I think. I think in a lot of ways it justifies how good Spencer is. I think for years we've wondered how good Spencer Sanders is at quarterback. Well, sometimes it takes him not being there for us to be reminded. And that happened early in his career too. But he just, you know, Mike Gunny talks so much after the game that he's played 50 games here. He can run this offense blindfolded. And you see that. I think just you've seen his his maturation go from kind of a young electric quarterback who can make big plays but is prone to make big mistakes to – He's one of the best players in college football when healthy. Like just when you have him on the field, you're uh, you're plus minus, (laughs) to use a basketball term. He's got to be one of the best plus minus guys in the entire country. Just obviously, that's always going to be helpful when you're the quarterback. But he just completely transforms the offense in, in ways that that most quarterbacks simply cannot.
0: Yeah, and I think you said it well. Sometimes you don't know what you have until you lose it. Right. Sometimes you just don't know what you have until it's not there anymore. Uh, It's like I I think Oklahoma State fans are going to experience that in the very near future with Tanner Brown. Like you, you don't realize how comfortable it is to just have a kicker walk out and make all of them until, you know, go ask OU fans if they'd like Tanner Brown today. I mean, seriously, misses two field goals yesterday at West Virginia. They lose 23-20. Um, Spencer's that guy just at, at the big position at QB. You don't know what you have until you lose him. Um, so uh, I, I hope and I think that Oklahoma State fans have, have started to appreciate Spencer. But part of that is the growth, too. I understand why some fans were down on him. He led the FBS in turnovers, 19 through 21. I, I get it. I understand why people are saying, look, I get it. The talent's there, but I can't deal with the turnovers. Drives me crazy. I need something different. Well, it's the same guy, but it is something different because it's still all the special tough stuff. And for the most part, he stopped turning the ball over. He's just he's a more polished player. His decision making. I mean, when Spencer scrambles, whether it's to his right, to his left, or across his body, whatever it is, when Spencer scrambles, I no longer have that fear I used to have. Carson, there was fear earlier in his career. And he was elusive. You know, he was younger. He was healthier. He was faster. He could do all those things with his legs when he was younger. But when he scrambled, I got scared because that's when something really bad could happen. I don't have that fear anymore. Uh, He's taking all that stuff away. The fact that he's going to play Bedlam next week. I'm like, I I was really down about Bedlam. Spencer said he's in. All right. Spencer's in. I'm in. Let's go. Let's go to Norman. Can't wait.
1: Yeah, and Goose just made a really good point. Like, if Spencer gets landed on next week, he is toast. The kid after the second-to-last drive, his arm wasn't moving. Like, we better be prepared, Colby. Like, Sanders wants to play and says he is playing in Bedlam, but I think we better be prepared to see Gunner Gundy or Garrett Rangel play some, too, because he's just – it's clear to me he he clearly wouldn't be able to play an entire game. Or or Mike's – like, Mike wants to win the game. Like, he would have played him if he he thought he could hold up that long. And clearly just even playing – as little as he did, he was, he was running on fumes at the end.
0: Carson, he wasn't, even, uh, he, he wasn't even there this week. I mentioned on the last show, his grandfather passed. Yeah, Mike Gundy was asked about it last night. He said, yeah, he wasn't here a lot of the week. He was with family. It's, man, a lot going on for Spencer Sanders for him to come out and put that performance together yesterday. I don't know. I, I think in Bedlam, yeah, he's hurting. He's hurting. But – I think he takes all the snaps. I mean, assuming he doesn't get re-injured in the game. If he gets re-injured in the game, obviously, he's out. But I've been telling you for weeks, that game really means something to Spencer. It matters to him that he's the guy that beats OU. That matters to him. And he's going to go out next week. And I'm telling you, unless he cannot lift his arm, he's going to be that guy again. Because that is who he is. So i I am ready for bedlam. Yeah, I think he's hurt. Um, but I think he's going to play through it for four quarters, assuming he doesn't get re injured. I I just I'm not putting anything past him at this point.
1: Josh Fields beat Oklahoma twice. I'm struggling to remember anyone else that did. Maybe Tony Lindsey. Tough as hell too. Getting his finger popped back in. That was crazy. I remember yeah. that. I thought they were done when that happened. I'm surprised you remember that. that was- you were very young when that occurred. But, uh,
0: I, w- I think that's why it stuck with me, because it was they showed it on TV, and it was graphic. And I, as yeah. a child,
1: I was like, oh, my God, his finger was sideways. His thumb. I think it was his thumb either on his throwing hand or non-throwing. I can't remember which one. I think it was his throwing hand. So, that shows you how tough he was. But the point being, like, the list of guys who have beaten Oklahoma twice is very short. Very, very, very short. And Spencer could uh, certainly join that list. But... Uh, Before we get to bed, let's talk more about the game, Colby. I thought this game played out exactly kind of how I I anticipated. Neither team can run the football. Neither team's offense is very good. Iowa State, elite, really, at defense. And kind of the story of this game, you know, Spencer gets the headlines, and rightfully so, for the, the manner in which he came in to win the game. But the reason, the true reason OSU won this game, Colby, is forcing five turnovers. And we saw a defense from Derek Mason that looked far more like we saw last year getting after the quarterback, Colin Oliver, finally unleashed the way that we all envisioned him being unleashed coming into this season. And they forced five turnovers. Yes. The offense could not capitalize. We know all the issues they have. They cannot run the football. They, they need to make a change at offensive line, either, either coaching or players or both. And that's a disaster. But Colby, the defense, finally, that's what makes the Kansas and Kansas state game for you and I so shocking. Because we, we have seen success, and they weren't decimated by injuries on defense. Uh, you want to talk about the transfers before the year? Fine, but they had moments this season where they didn't look completely inept like they did against Kansas and Kansas State. And this, Colby, is why I was defending them so much early in the season because this is what they're capable of. And, and again, OU played well defensively against Iowa State. There, are, there is a little bit of chicken in the egg there, but I don't care. They made Kansas look like they had Barry Sanders' at tailback last week.
0: Yeah, it was a a night and day difference from what we had seen the past couple of weeks. Uh, I I want to be careful to not overreact too much. Uh, Iowa State is a a very poor offense. I mean, they are a top 10 defense, like you said, and with a top 10 defense, they're four and six. That's not a coincidence. They struggle offensively to move the ball in any remotely positive way consistently. That being said, there are some individual guys who are getting better that I think you can be really optimistic about. Uh, Mike Gundy talked about after the game last night. Uh, five's starting to come along. five's getting a little more a little more snaps under his belt. Uh, most of us refer to him as Kendall Daniels if you weren't aware of what number he wears. Uh, yeah, five is is starting to look better, Carson, I, I'm getting real optimistic about what five could look like on the back end of this defense. Brock Martin was out there yesterday. Jason Taylor was out there yesterday. and the resurgence of Colin Oliver, it, it's like, man, where did freshman Colin Oliver go? And I know that there aren't guys on the back end covering in, in you know, hip to hip coverage for four seconds. Yeah, you can you can set some sack records when you got guys covering for four seconds on the back end. But man, Jabar Muhammad was back exclusively at corner yesterday. He played great. His interception was a contested catch. Strong hands going and getting the ball. That was a nice play. Uh and and those guys played better on the edge, I thought, which allowed him to uh to, to to go do what needed to be done. So yeah, I, I thought it was impressive from the Oklahoma State defense. Uh, Kendall Daniels' improvements, along with uh, along with Colin Oliver's resurgence, I think were two really big individual bright spots for the Oklahoma State defense yesterday.
1: Yeah, I mean that's this is what we thought we were going to see from the defense all year. They had four sacks, eleven tackles for loss. Just that's kind of been the hallmark uh, of this defense the last couple of years. And and I think if you if you got Derek Mason over a few a few pints, a few beers, and got him to kind of really open up, I think he would probably admit that he wasn't as aggressive as he probably should have been. I think he was worried about the back end, and they had been, they'd been getting beat deep a lot throughout the early portions of the schedule. I think he really took, took note of that and, and wanted to shore that up and thought, hey, maybe I can get enough pressure with three and four pass rushers and and that clearly has been just getting them beat because they just weren't generating near the same. I mean, they were they were what number one or number two in the country in tackles for loss earlier this year. This is the hallmark of the defense. It was great to see them get back to that. And I'm so glad you mentioned Kendall Daniels because when we talk about Oklahoma State football, we talk till we're blue in the face about the recruiting rankings, and they should be higher. And a lot of people get agitated with that, and and I can certainly understand why they would. But when you look at Kendall Daniels, who was a four-star, you know one of the best players in the state of Oklahoma, was committed to go to Texas A&M, that's what you get when you get guys like that. They win you football games on Saturday because they are just flat out one of the best players on the field, if not the best player on the field when they step foot on it. Uh, Tylen Wallace, high-level four-star. Mike's done a really good job at getting enough of those guys to make huge differences on Saturday. Spencer Sanders, Mr. Texas Football, four-star, the best quarterbacks in the state of Texas, difference maker. And so I think that's why people get frustrated, Colby. You see guys like Kendall Daniels, and it's like – and I know you can't get 22 of them, but you also shouldn't be recruiting in the 50s and 60s in the team rankings because you got to get more guys close to that level. And guys like that, Colby, you can draw up schemes, you can draw up plays, you can have the best offensive and defensive coordinator in the country. Sometimes that matters, but more often than not, it's who's got the better player and Kendall Daniels was better than everyone Iowa State had, and that that was a big difference on Saturday.
0: Yeah, it was. There was an important play that we need to talk about, and Goose uh, pointed it out here on on YouTube. They got beat deep late, but the kid dropped the ball. Dude was wide open. Yeah, they got roasted late. And if you're an Iowa State fan, by the way, you're 4-6. and You've lost almost all your games by one score. They lose to Texas because Xavier Hutchinson, wide open downfield, total coverage breakdown, hits him in the hands, he drops it. They lose to Oklahoma State. Guy, wide open downfield. Hits him in the hands. An absolute dime from Iowa State's quarterback, who just, I I not a very good player so far to this point in his career. Maybe he turns into something, I don't know. Best throw of, of the day, maybe, of his career. Lays it in the basket. Dude drops it. It's a big play in that game. Uh, we had a few people over. You know what I immediately said whenever he dropped it? I was like, well, you know, yeah, you go down there. There's four minutes left, so Spencer's going to score anyway. I mean, that was the mindset I was in. I was like, ah, Spencer's going to score anyway. Uh, but a huge play in the game, and... I do wonder, Carson, if we are having a different conversation. Even if Spencer does lead him back down the field, I wonder if we're having a different conversation if he makes that catch because that's a key time in the game to just have a man streaking wide open downfield. You're up by six with four minutes left. Nobody's within 10 yards of a guy running down the field. Uh, That was pretty rough. So I I love the aggression from Derek Mason. You you mentioned he's scared of getting beat deep. They did get beat deep. They got away with it. So I, I hope that they'll be able to diagnose what the problem was there. Because if they're in a similar situation next week where they need to stop OU to win the game, I want him to be comfortable being aggressive. You, you need to be comfortable being aggressive in that situation. You lay back, they're going to carve you up. So I hope he'll continue to be aggressive, but man, you've got to make sure those, back, those guys on the back end are not letting anybody get behind them like that because that could have spelled disaster and they got away with it.
1: Do you know why that was a Christmas gift, that Why Why's that? You know what the guy's last name was? I don't think I do. Noel, beautiful. Well done. Merry the, Christmas. So, like, that's the first thing that popped into my head. I was like, "Oh my God, what a gift!" Oh, his name's Noel. That's perfect. And I, I did immediately think of the, the Hutchinson drop. They Iowa State should probably be six and four, not four and six, which is two, literally two plays. And, and look, Matt Campbell's a great coach. But Mike Gundy owns Matt Campbell. I mean, this is yet another win over over Iowa State and, and his team. And but you're right, Colby. We're we're singing a much different tune. We're uh, we're wanting to burn it all down. Why didn't Spencer get in the game earlier? But you know, that's that's the margins in, in college football and
0: winning and losing.
1: Winning yeah. and losing.
0: the narrative. The narrative is
1: is that razor thin. You know, but in these games. And I thought they did a nice job on Hutchinson. Look, he had 10 grabs, 106 yards, but his long was of like 27. He wasn't beating him down the field. And I think that's something that really stood out to me too, Colby, is the defensive backs have really been through the ringer the last few few weeks and last month of the season, really. But I really thought the two corners, uh, Jabbar Muhammad and Corey Black, especially late, they really made some key pass breakups there late. And I thought they they really showed – to me, Colby, didn't it seem like – Everything that occurred kind of late in that game and really throughout defensively is kind of why you and I were pretty optimistic about the defense. You had the pass rush, all the all the sacks and the tackles for loss. And you had two young, up-and-coming cornerbacks who were totally unafraid of the moment, making huge pass breakups throughout the end of that game. I thought that was – I was sitting there watching it, Colby, going, man, this is like everything that we kind of thought we would see all year. It's, it's a shame it's happening, you know, a little too late, but this is kind of what we envisioned uh, coming in.
0: Yeah, Corey Black and Jabbar Muhammad were good yesterday. They they had good coverage. Uh, there was the breakdown late, but throughout the day, I was really impressed, especially with with Muhammad. Uh, you know, Corey Black, he got the one PI where he didn't get his head around. But late in the game, whenever, I mean, you're up by six, they're at, what, 25, 30-yard line? I mean, they went to that front pylon over on that, uh, that north side, and Corey Black was there. He, he got his head around. He played the ball pretty much the entire back half of the route, got up, deflected. I mean, that's a great play in a huge moment. Muhammad had a couple of those. The, the offense needed the defense to come big, and, and Carson, I want to talk about the last offensive possession for Oklahoma State because we, we got this question, and we were certainly going to get to it. Tim Shell asks, why do we go into a shell at the end of the game with the lead instead of being a little more aggressive and get a first down. Now, Gundy, after the game, said once Spencer came in, we just decided we were going to throw it on every down because we couldn't run the ball. We need to go score, so we're going to throw it on every down. Carson, Oklahoma State gets the ball back with two and a half minutes left. One first down, you can run some clock. Two first downs, you're for sure going to be able to run all the clock out. Or if you go score, even if it's just a field goal, and remember, you got Tanner Brown back there. Even if you go score, if it's just a field goal, you win the game. Carson, I, I almost left my house. I almost went for a walk around the neighborhood when they lined up and ran the ball into the Iowa State wall three times in a row. There were two sequences late in that game that I thought were truly embarrassing. And I mean embarrassing on a max level scale. First one, in between the third and the fourth quarter, it is third and one. You have a three-minute time break. Decide what you're going to do on third and one to make life difficult for the defense so that you can continue moving the ball and go down and try to win a game, and on third and one. I will be damned if they don't come out at the end of the third quarter and run right into a brick wall for a two-yard loss and then punt from Iowa State's 39-yard line. I will be damned, Carson, if that's not what happened to start the fourth quarter. And then with two and a half minutes left, you run it on first down. I'm thinking, all right, make them burn one timeout. You can throw it on second. You trust Spencer, right? He's eliminated the turnovers, the bad stuff. You trust him because he is a good decision maker at this point in his career. Like Mike Gundy said, he owns this offense. He knows how to run it. You trust him. Let him go win the football game. You're up by six. Being up by six is the worst place to be in a football game. You're begging to lose by a point when you're up by six. The fact that they ran it into the wall three times and voluntarily gave the ball back to Iowa State when Oklahoma State's offense had all the momentum, Iowa State's defense was reeling. They, could, they had no answer for Spencer through the air. And you just run it into the wall three times and give it back to them? Ooh, buddy. Especially you had just the previous possession – gotten lucky on the blown coverage downfield. I mean, they were marching down there, taking shots at the end zone. I just don't understand how you can't try to move the ball, run your offense a little bit. There's three minutes left. They've got three timeouts. You're running in brick wall three times. I, I just Carson, it drove me absolutely insane.
1: I think I've just, I'm just numb to it now to where like, I just expect it. And I don't even like get as emotional as I used to about it, but you're, you're, you make great points and I, I, I can't disagree with any of them. And I, and here we are, Colby, and it, and it worked out. I mean, I think that's what, this is why Mike does this, because more often than not, it works out. But you're so right. It's, it's as if it's as if when he sees three minutes left on the clock, he sees, like, one less zero. And there's, like, 30 seconds left. And he's like, okay, well, we, we just run it three times, punt, and I'll we'll have no time to do anything. Time management is a massive issue for Mike Gundy. It always has been. It always will be. He is so afraid. It's it's strange, isn't it, Colby? It, it seems like Mike is only willing to do those things when he's like a twenty eight point underdog. That's why he's won Bedlam, frankly, twice as a huge underdog because he kind of he kind of says, F it, here we go. Let's just let's just let's just try. Let's just let's try something here." And it worked out this Saturday against Iowa State, Colby. But eventually, there's going to come a time where it's going to get his team beat, and it's I. <laughs> Talked about previously this season about how he used to have an analytics guy that used to walk with him on, on fourth down decisions, and he, he ended up getting rid of that guy. He needs a clock management guy that just follows him around. Like Brent Venables has that get-back guy that keeps him off the field. He needs a clock management guy to just, well, I don't know, club him over the head with something to kind of, hey, no, don't don't hand it up the middle. Don't no hand off up the middle here. We, we need to throw a pass, let Spencer go in the game because – Because you're right, Cole. it's going to get them beat. And it it worked out here, but it's just, it's, it's madly frustrating. And I said, I wasn't even emotional about it anymore. Now I'm getting worked up, but that was, was brutal.
0: I think I get more emotional about it now than I used to, because I mean, we can't still be doing the same thing. We can't still be doing the same thing. I, I just, I will never understand coaches who voluntarily give the ball back to the other team with the game on the line. That is the opposite of what you want to do in that moment. And yet they just do it time and time again. And, and Tim says on YouTube, that's why we lost the TCU game. Be aggressive. The TCU game was, it was different because you're up by two scores with like 12 minutes left. But it was really similar. They, they just went into the shell and tried to run the clock out. My God, go win the game. It, they trust Spencer. They, he keeps telling us they trust Spencer. They show us that they trust Spencer. Right up until they have a lead in the fourth quarter? I don't get it. That's when you trust your quarterback. That's when you go let him win you a football game. You you trust him in the first, second, and third quarter. You trust him until there's five minutes left, and now when the game's on the line and you can ice it, you don't trust him? It'll never make sense to me, Carson.
1: Yeah, It, it makes no sense. I'm, I'm neglected to mention that this show is brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at ChrisUniversitySpirit.com. We appreciate Chris's sponsoring the pod, and uh, Bedlam, Colby, prime time. He gets the prime time treatment at 6:30 on ABC. I, I haven't checked all the other games around the country as to why they would put Bedlam on prime time. Perhaps they haven't been paying attention to the Big 12 this year and think OU still OU and that OSU is still a fringe kind of you know Big 12 title contender. Which I guess they certainly are. They only have three conference losses. But uh, what do you think about Bedlam getting the prime time treatment, Colby? Because we thought it was going to be on the Ocho as far as little as last week.
0: Yeah, I think that that stupid logo with those interlocking letters still gets respect for some reason, uh, even though... And
1: ratings, yeah.
0: It gets respect, it gets ratings. Um, Carson, there is a, I, I think, really good chance OU loses its last two games to go five and seven. And Carson, I just... If Oklahoma State was part of that, I don't know what happens. Squinky could come out on Saturday. Texas Tech isn't great, but neither is OU. I just... Man, OU is finding ways to turn victories into defeat. I mean, they are just snatching defeat from the jaws of victory week in and week out with terrible clock management in the fourth quarter. Uh, Just no idea when to go for it, when to punt, uh, inability to stop teams from getting, you know, seven yards when they need two. I I just, yeah, I I love the primetime slot. It's going to be weird for Oklahoma State. Body clocks are going to be off at two straight months of 2.30. It should I every hour, 2.30, 2.30, 2.30, 2.30. So I, yeah. hope, I hope that they don't get antsy having to wait those extra four hours. Uh, but, no, I love the prime time. It'll make for a bunch of good watch parties for Oklahoma State fans, and the uh, OU fans can go sit in the cold.
1: Yeah, and I, I tweeted when OU lost that if Spencer Sanders doesn't play, OU's winning that game, and I, I still believe that because, I mean, as bad as OU was and losing to probably the worst team in the Big 12 in West Virginia – They had a 200-yard rusher, and I think when you get two teams that are very mediocre, I think whoever can run the ball better typically wins, and I think that certainly favors Oklahoma. But Oklahoma is one of the worst coached teams in the country, one of the least disciplined teams in the country. So OSU definitely has that going for them. I thought Brent Venables was a good hire for Oklahoma, and it still might be, but it's been alarming Colby, flat out red flag city. If you are Joe Castiglione, that they're getting worse, and they they don't even seem to be no, they don't even seem to know what they're supposed to be doing out there. And that's before we even get into the fact that Dylan Gabriel is not any good. He missed so many open receivers. I know it's raining; it's rained before, guys. Uh, he surely has played in rain in his career, but he's terrible. This game. OSU needs to go win this football game. They're the better team if Spencer Sanders plays. And my confidence was shaken coming into this week because I thought, oh, you can run the ball. They're looking at least halfway competent uh, offensively. They got to play Iowa State's horrible offense on defense. And more than anything, I just said I lacked confidence in Oklahoma State, and I still do, but Sanders is a difference maker. I and mean, he – He's by far the better quarterback in this matchup if he's able to play. So it's, I feel much better about Bedlam coming into this week than than I did, and I know your confidence was shaking a little bit too.
0: Yeah, my confidence was mostly reliant on Spencer Sanders, and there was so much unknown there uh, that I didn't know how I was going to feel going into Bedlam. Carson, for about eight months, you know, people ask us, they view us as the sports guys, the college football guys. So you're just out. You're hanging out with people. Everybody wants to talk sports. And for eight months, everybody asked me, oh, you nailed it with that Venables hire, right? And you know what I said every time? I don't know. How would I know? Dude's never coached. He's never been a head coach. How would I know? It's a total unknown. It might be the best hire ever. It might be the worst hire ever. Uh, I Maybe it's not the worst hire ever. Boy, it's not off to a good start. This is a, Oklahoma State has to win this game. Your rival is reeling right now. They are reeling. Carson, there are two games left in year one. This fan base attached themselves to Brent Venable so aggressively because they were mad at Lincoln Riley. They they just, there was almost nothing this guy could do to lose the fan base this fast, except be an abject disaster in almost every way, every Saturday. And that's what he's done. It has been an abject disaster every Saturday. They've won two conference games and it was against Iowa State and Kansas. And Carson, it just, it's mind blowing how poorly things have gone in Norman, and I think it, it actually puts a decent amount of pressure on Oklahoma State to win this game. You've got to beat the worst OU team that has taken the field in 25 years. You just have to win this game on Saturday. I, I think it matters immensely for both programs. Um, Carson, we, we talk about the fact that the Big 12 championship isn't on the line. So the the quote unquote stakes aren't there. No, the stakes are there. This game matters immensely for both programs and both coaches. Does
1: OSHA have a shot at Jerry World?
0: Uh, they do. It's a, it's still, it's an outside one, and some things are gonna have to go right. Uh, small, small chance.
1: Yeah, Kansas State throttling Baylor. I did, I did not see that coming. Will Howard apparently is like the next, no. you know, freaking Heisman winner. Apparently, Where there's a
0: will, there's a way. Makes it all that more confusing that they went back to Martinez for Texas.
1: I know. Uh, one more note before we get to bullets and BBs. I think that's what's so disheartening uh, for Oklahoma, Colby, is the things you mentioned like we all understand they have, they had transfers on offense and they had guys go to the NFL in defense. But the one thing OU fans were hanging their hat on was that Venables was going to at least establish discipline and doing things the right way, the attention to detail. And they're so much worse at that right now than they ever were under Lincoln Riley. It's like, well, what now, what is he going to hang his hat on? Cause the recruiting class, they're losing their best player. So it. It's going about as badly as you possibly – worse than you ever could have predicted for Oklahoma. And so, you're right, Colby. Uh, there's going to be some pressure on Coach Gundy to go down and get a win because he knows that – it's it's remarkable that the OSU's winning percentage against Oklahoma has gone down under Mike Gundy in the most successful period of OSU football. That That stat will never make any sense. It just shows you how much they've underachieved in that game. And it's time, to, it's time to achieve. It's time to go there and get a win. And he knows that. So, well,
0: well not only that, Carson, at, at what point, I mean, less miles is the last time that you had momentum in Bedlam? Oklahoma State needs a Bedlam winning streak. Two's a streak. Carson, two's a streak. Win two in a row. Is, it, is that too much to ask for? This OU team's terrible. You've got to go beat them. I mean, that West Virginia game yesterday. West Virginia was three and six coming in. OU's running back went for more than 200 yards. OU got a couple turnovers, no picks, no fumbles, and, and, and they lose the game. It's just, you've got to go win this game, especially if Spencer, if, if Spencer plays. Um, if Spencer plays, I think that they will win the game. I just, man, the pressure's on. Go get it done.
1: The irony of a 500- OU football team playing spoiler to Oklahoma state whom they left for dead in the big 12. What a year Colby. I mean, what, what a moment, what a year. I mean, I'm not sure how we got here, but just the scene is set. And uh, I got to admit it's, it's a far prettier one than I ever would have dreamed of for, for OSU heading into this year.
0: Yeah, I think so too. And um, yeah, tough, tough time to be an OU fan. Didn't think we'd be saying that anytime in the near future, but Carson, Oklahoma State broke them. Beat them in Bedlam last year. Riley ran for the Hills. They hired Venables. I I just, I never imagined in year one, there would be people on Twitter calling for his job. And yesterday, there were so many people on Twitter saying, admit you got the hire wrong, admit your mistake and fix it. And I'm like, oh my God, there's two games left. And one of them's Bedlam. By the way, if Venables wins this Saturday, he will regain good faith with that fan base. They'll feel good. Uh, I mean, they will feel great, but... It'll buy him some goodwill to to have a little bit of optimism. Um, you've got to go, got to go beat him down. Go go put your rival in the dirt. That program is reeling, and you've got a chance to deliver a huge blow on Saturday. Go do it, and, and and don't be scared, man. If Spencer's gonna play. Let him be Spencer. Let him go out and score. I mean, would it be a crime to beat somebody by three touchdowns? Would it be a crime <laughs> to not have to have your defense get a stop with thirty seconds left? Just Go be the better team on Saturday. Just don't coach scared, uh, and go win a football game. That's
1: all I ask. Yeah, I'm Simple. I'm I'm fascinated to see what the game plan is and and how open they are offensively because we all know when that game comes around, particularly in Norman, that it always tends to to turtle up a little bit. But let's get to uh, bullets and BBs, Colby. Let's hand out some positives and negatives for uh, the weekend. Uh, you go first. You got a bullet or a BB for me?
0: Oh, uh, I've got a bullet, Carson. I I mean. I can't miss the layup here. It's Spencer Sanders. It's Superman Sanders. He just, Carson, they were going to lose that game. There there just is no way around it. Oklahoma State was going to lose that game if Spencer Sanders didn't come in there. He comes in, and even in spite of the third and one running up the middle into the wall on the first play of the fourth quarter, even in spite of the coaches not giving him a chance to win it with two and a half minutes left, he did enough. He did what needed to be done. The touchdown drive that he put together looked so easy as much... Grief as we give the offensive coaching staff for lack of creativity, the touchdown pass from Sanders to Nixon. is one of the best play calls I've seen in years in Stillwater. Oh my God. They made everybody in the stadium, everybody on the field, everybody watching on TV, everybody thought Spencer's was was taken off on a keeper to the right. And then he popped up Jaden Nixon wide open. So that was one of the best Blake play calls I've seen in years. Defense had no idea what was coming. It's funny how that works. Um, yeah, Spencer, he, he is absolutely every bit of that guy. So he gets my bullet.
1: Yeah, I want to ask the, the comment section. Tell us who you think bullet, BB. Just fill your comments in. I want to hear some of your feedback. Uh, you're right, Coley. We had asked, you and I had been talking a lot about, where, where's the play where a guy just gets wide open? And we finally saw it in the moment of truth. And I thought, you got to give Casey Dunn a lot of credit for that. That's a that's a great bullet. And um, another bullet for me mentioned Kendall Daniels. <laughs> I love Chance Raybon. My bullet, Carson, for finally winning against Zoom. I got a W. <laughs> finally beat Zoom. Take that, Zoom. Uh, I had a little squinky going on. I was like OSU in Bedlam with, with Zoom for a while. But we, we mentioned Kendall Daniels, and again, I'll just reiterate just what it, what it means to have a, an athlete of his caliber or a recruit of his caliber is the difference in winning and losing football games. But the guy who really stood out to me late, the guy who did the dirty work to free up Daniels and Vincent late is Brock Martin, just along with Spencer Sanders, another guy whose body is pieced together with duct tape and staples. I mean, the guy is just a freaking baller, just like Spencer. He had a half a sack and a one and a half tackles for loss and really, you know, freed up guys like Kendall Daniels to make plays the way he did. And Brock Martin, again, I just – He's going to be one of my favorite players to play at OSU. He's not going to – he's kind of, to me, Colby, like the the great Final Four team in 04, like they had superstars like Tony Allen, John Lucas, and and Joey Graham, guys like that. But, you know, the the, the most favorite player in the arena every night was Ivan McFarlane because he did all the dirty work, and he kind of represented that mentality of Oklahoma State. And I think Brock Martin being that tough, hard-nosed wrestler that you don't want to make mad at Murphy's late at night – that'll just take you out back and tie you in about four knots. Uh, That's the guy that along with Spencer and I'm drawing up a team that I want to go into battle with. I'm picking Spencer and I'm picking Brock Martin and I like my chances because he's just, I don't know how he's doing it, Colby. I don't know how he's getting on the field, let alone playing at the high level that he is.
0: Yeah. If you've got Spencer and Brock Martin, you've got the two toughest guys on the field every week. I, I, whatever else happens in the game happens you've got the two toughest guys on the field if you've got Spencer and Brock Martin uh, I just want to run down some of the YouTube comments uh, and, and I won't read names so we got a bunch of them here I'm gonna rapid fire uh, Casey Dunn BB BB Casey Dunn BB for etn uh, for presumably the hold. Late in the game, uh, somebody said bullet fourth quarter Kapinski comes out again. Uh, Kendall Daniels bullet. Somebody said BB Illinois was ranked and lost again to Purdue. That's a good one. Bullet the defense <laughs> forcing turnovers. Spencer gets a bullet. Uh, Dickey gets a BB. Uh, let's see Arizona gets a bullet from a listener. Beat the UCLA fighting Chip Kelly's Arizona's been left for dead. Still pulled it out. Uh, Brock Martin Sean Michael Flanagan led in tackles. Uh, yep, good good call Tim. Sean Michael Flanagan needs some credit. He played well yesterday. Corey Black deflection late, we mentioned that earlier, uh, is a bullet. Uh, bullet for John Paul on the ADR touchdown. Uh, bullet, interesting. Brian Carr, bullet. Gundy for sp- putting Spencer in when he needed to win. BB, Gundy for not letting Spencer uh, loose to ice the game with a score. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, and then Bala said bullet. Crowd. They showed up and the blackout blackout looked good. The crowd does need a bullet, Carson, because it would have been real easy for everybody to say, no, I'm not driving to Stillwater on a cold day to sit there and watch an ugly game between a, a team that's just lost 85 to 16 in the state of Kansas, uh, and is no longer probably playing for a Big Twelve title. And that didn't happen. The fans showed out, it was a good atmosphere. Uh so a lot of good stuff. Appreciate everybody interacting with us on YouTube.
1: Yeah, and Tim Shale uh said LaTou showed up, and that stood out to me too. This yeah, too like he looks like a dude, man. He's six four. He's from the. He's from uh, Salt Lake City. He was impressive. Where did he transfer in from? Man, I'm not sure. He he was impressive yesterday, though. Oh, his brother Cameron is the Latou that plays at Alabama, the tight end. Really? Okay. Uh, All uh, right. I like. Like that's that's to me something I've hit on along for like the last ever since really Joe Bob Clements got to, to campus. Colby is. It feels like there's always a couple guys you notice on the defensive line that don't play a ton they just look the part. Oh, uh, we got we got an appearance here. Who's this?
0: Yeah, uh, this is co-host. This is Emmett. He was really impressed with the uh, performance yesterday by Spencer in the fourth quarter. Wanted to come show some love.
1: Ooh, pretty. D- you said Emmett, like as in Emmett Smith.
0: Emmett, as in Emmett Smith. That is who he is named after. W- was Barry taken? Uh <laughs> Barry. Weird. It doesn't have the same ring for a dog. I don't know. Emmett just and most time I just call him E. I say E. But yeah, yeah. No, he uh, well, he's a good dog.
1: I was always bitter towards Emmett Smith. So I didn't like the Cowboys, and I thought. People always tried to say he was better than Barry Sanders, and I always was like, if Barry Sanders played behind Emmitt Smith's offensive line, it would have been like frightening. It would have been like it would have broke the game. <laughs> so uh, you
0: know. somebody, said, somebody said we need Bedlam score predictions before y'all turn it off and get back to Family Sunday. I don't know if I can give a Bedlam score prediction on Sunday. I need I need to do my calculations, crunch my numbers. Y'all know I like to uh, connect dots that aren't there with the Vegas lines. So yeah, uh, did you get a BB for me? Uh, I haven't yet. You ready for it? Yep. Cowards. Cowards, get my BB. Carson, third and one in between quarters, right up the middle, into the wall, putting on fourth and three from your opponent's 39 with Spencer out there. You either trust him or you don't. Two minutes, 36 seconds. You've got the ball. Go win the game. Don't give it back to your opponent. That's the one thing you should be trying not to do. They volunteered. They volunteered. They asked Iowa State, hey, would you guys like the ball back? You're welcome to it. And just gave it back to them. What are you doing there? That's, I, I'm sorry, cowards. And I think that there's probably some joint decision making there. I'm not sure. Let him go win the game. I, I cannot stand that stuff at the end of games. Three timeouts? We, we've got two and a half minutes left. I've got three timeouts. You're just going to run into the wall three times and punt? Carson, I, I can't even express with words and emotions. I mean, I, I talk with my hands, whatever I want to do. I cannot express my frustration as I watched that game yesterday and they volunteered to give the ball back to Iowa State. I can't get over it. Stop being cowards at the end of games. Go win.
1: Well, and I'll play a little bit of devil's advocate. I certainly understand that they weren't confident to gain a yard running the football the way their offensive line has been just decimated and played terribly and they can't run the football. But to me, I'm still with you, though. That That's not an excuse. Like, the lack of creativity and short yardage – has been an issue going back to Mason Rudolph. I remember that, that great offense of 2017 with Mason Rudolph. They were amazing. They were one of the worst offenses in the in the country in terms of converting red zone trips into touchdowns. And I don't know what it is about those situations. I think it's it's an it's a mentality thing that you're mentioning that they're just too afraid to to screw it up and to go for it. But I got to say, like the lack of creativity, I think, is hampering them as much as anything because. Cause look, they they know what they're dealing with the offensive line, Colby, but the, clearly they don't have enough confidence in their creativity, let alone the offensive line, just to pick up a yard. That's just, that's disheartening. Yeah, no, it
0: absolutely is. I just I, I if you try and you fail, I, I'm I'm with you. If you try and you fail, we're we're good. If you don't try, we've got problems. And, and I, I don't think that they tried to win the game yesterday. I, I think that they were just hoping that you wouldn't have another defensive breakdown and, and guy makes a catch, uh, hoping that you don't get, you know, a bumpy eye call that moves him down inside the 10. You're, you're hoping a lot of things go right when you stick your defense back out there. The game's designed for offense. The game is designed for offense. The penalties, the protections for the quarterback, all of it. Um, if you try and fail, we're good, but you've got to try.
1: Yeah. I uh, totally agree. Uh, my mild BB will go to once again, uh, the big 12 refs trying to just absolutely hose Oklahoma state that late call where Iowa state jumps off sides. Uh, they're just, oh, she's totally content to just run clock and run the football. Sanders sees them jump off sides, just goes into you know autopilot with the deep shot. Thought they could have called interference on the deep shot as well. It was ultimately, I think it was good enough coverage to let a flag slide based on the way Corey Black was touching receivers as well in coverage. I'd, I'd much rather them let them play. It's just like, Kobe, it was just another instance where it's like, God, the refs just can't get the rules right or, you know, with the substitution patterns, they think they're going to, like, OSU's content to run clock, but now they can't because they threw a pass and they didn't throw the flag. It's just like OSU has had the worst luck in terms of not even just like calls because certainly they've had a lot of calls go their way too it's just the the protocols from the officials have just seemingly screwed Oklahoma State in every instance this year when there's some sort of gray area and I thought that was another instance and I think I think Mike Gundy is going to pour himself a very stiff bourbon at the end of the year call the head of officials and just kind of man what happened here like what what do we got to do to avoid this happening again like I am just He just seems spent with the officials because they got that wrong again.
0: Uh, Yeah, he does. Missing the offsides was bad. Somebody else says, how about Iowa State running into our punter's plant leg and the refs calling it running into the kicker? The rules, I mean, the rules clearly in place. If, If it's the kicking leg, it's running into. If it's the plant leg, it's roughing. And Carson, I swear refs have gotten to the point roughing the punter is a massive call in a game. It's a turnover for whichever team roughs the punter. You move up 15 yards, it is a game-changing call. And I swear, officials are scared to make that call unless the punters, unless they break his leg. Unless you break his leg, officials are scared to make that call because they know how big of a call it is. But I'm sorry, it is in the rule book. Kicking leg running into, plant leg roughing. Like, they've tried to make the rule book as simple as possible. So many calls in football are, are in the gray. That one's black and white, kicking leg, running, player leg, roughing. I, you got to throw the flag there. You got, you got to make the proper call. I understand it's a big one. The rule exists for a reason.
1: Yeah, I agree. And that's what I'm kind of getting at. Like they're not following the letter of the law. Like the TCU substitution thing, there is no gray area there. There is none. And they just, they just ignored protocol. They ignored the rule book, like the letter of the law. And I I, I don't understand it. Like big 12, officials have been terrible for years. It's been a running gag. There's even a, a great Twitter account called big 12 refs for that reason. But like, those are usually like judgment calls they are getting wrong. And just, you know, like being blind and on replay uh, reviews, not like not knowing the rules. And so I don't know if there's like a referee shortage guys are just tired of doing it because the refereeing and officiating is getting worse just in terms of knowing the rules and, and how to, how to operate them. So that. I that was really bad. Any, any more bullets or BBs for you? And then we'll, uh, we can wrap up.
0: Um, we'll talk. Yeah, no, I think I'm pretty much good. I think we pretty much, we've
1: covered a lot of ground. I, I feel good. Okay. Uniform review. We didn't do yeah. the uniform picks before on our preview show. Colby, we forgot it, but frankly, you and I were both going to pick all black. I mean, it's a blackout. They haven't worn all black this year. That was pretty much the, the free square this year in terms of picking the uniforms. But what, what do you think of them? I think, All black with the the matte black helmet with the brand Sure, my dad was happy with the brand. He didn't want the anything else but that. And I I thought that look is, you know, I'm here. I'm here for arguments. Black, orange, black, 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 orange. Uh, Some of the tricolor road looks I like. I'll hear arguments, but that looks really hard to beat.
0: Uh, Yeah, it does. That one's a good one. Uh, curse of Cowboys probably gets me a little more fired up, but you know, I, I get it. You're not breaking out curse of Cowboys a the week before Bedlam. Cause you're probably wearing it for Bedlam. Uh, and B coming off the 85 to 16 Kansas vacation. So yeah, no, I, I like the uniforms. Uh, the blackout was great. Oklahoma state looked good. Uh, every week they look sharp. So yeah, I, I was, I was in on the uniforms yesterday. I thought they looked good.
1: Yeah. And one last Slight bullet for me, I wanted to reiterate your point about the crowd. Like it would have been so easy, Colby, for Oklahoma State's stadium and crowd to get really restless, perhaps boo Gunnar Gundy, perhaps boo Mike, boo the team. I think lesser crowds would have done that. And I thought they were locked in and sure they were frustrated at times. I'm sure there were plenty of groans for the people that were in the stadium. But I thought the crowd really made a difference. And Mike said that for a long time for them to get their, what now, 14th straight win at home. That's a tremendous accomplishment. And And you did so when you weren't at your best, when, you know, when you're you're starting your third string, second string quarterback, however you want to look at it, can't do anything in the running game. Uh, Big, big shout out to the crowd, because that place has become one of the toughest places to play in the country. And it's built for it with the close sidelines. But you got to show up and do it. And and the Oklahoma State fans did that. I I was really uh, proud of them. And I think they deserve a bullet as well, like kind of like you mentioned.
0: Yeah, I, I am incredibly proud of the home field advantage uh, that Oklahoma State has that I don't think existed whenever I was growing up. It, it's, it's different now than it's been in the past, and this fan base has gotten really passionate, and they've tasted success, and they want more of it. But I also think this fan base has started to understand when you start to get that reputation as a rowdy fan base, then I think everybody is willing to cut loose a little bit more. For three and a half, four hours on a Saturday. I mean, we see that, right? Uh, you know, the, these places that have these reputations, LSU, night game, those people show up, they're ready to act like lunatics. And Oklahoma State is kind of, you know, progressing toward that from the old crowds that would kind of show up and the stadium's 80% full and the noise level's decent. Carson, they're packing that thing in end-to-end right now in Stillwater and making noise and making life miserable for teams on that visiting sideline over there on the north side. So very impressed with the crowd and just the overall, I would say, development of the program and the the development of the fan base into what i think is now one of the toughest places to play in the big 12 i mean if we're ranking toughest places to play in the big 12 right now carson is is there a stadium that ranks ahead of
1: boone Pickett stadium i think kansas state's got an argument uh, that's why i was so impressed with texas winning there texas is very sleepy i've been many games there it's not intimidating Oklahoma can be when they're rolling and playing well and ranked really high in the country, but it's not—it's not just a hornet's nest. And you can see that just—they've—they've they've lost a lot more games at home than they ever used to to lose there. So no, I'd probably put it between Oklahoma State, uh, Kansas State. Jack Trice is no picnic. Uh, those those fans are into it even if they're winless. So I, I kind of go to those three. Those are kind of the three that come to my mind. Uh, Morgantown can be tough. Yeah. But you're just not very good. <laughs> That's the problem. They're not any good. So I Morgantown, I feel like would be tough, you
0: know, if they still had Geno Smith, for example, but it, it's not tough with the squads that they've been running out there lately. I think right now I would go I would go Oklahoma State one, Kansas State two, in terms of Big Twelve hierarchy, tough places to play. Uh and then if we're going bottom up, I'd probably go Austin at ten. That's just man, they can pack a bunch of people in there to lose every Saturday, can't they?
1: Yeah, it's it's quintessential tea sipping. They call them the tea sippers. It's very country clubby. We'll we'll go to the gang, something to do, but I'm not going to make too much noise. You know, it's very very sleepy, and they they they're a very late arriving crowd too. Like that's the one like media will post like here's the crowd like. Five minutes before kickoff, no one's here, and then they they eventually show up eventually. But uh, do you have a uniform Heisman? Because I have one that's not a player, Colby. A uni
0: Heisman. I actually, I wasn't thinking about it yesterday as I was watching the game. So you think, because I've actually got the highlights pulled up here. Somebody's going to stand out to me.
1: Uh, mine is Pistol Pete. Did you see what Pistol Pete was wearing the second half of that game? No, I did not. I missed it. So... I believe it was raining. Was it raining up there? I I was in and out watching the game. I had the volume down low. I think it was raining at some point, or maybe it was just cold. I think maybe it was just the cold weather. Pistol Pete was rocking the the sheriff's trench coat, kind of like Tombstone when they they had the coat kind of pulled over the shotgun. He was. I saw him in the end zone late in the game. That's an elite look for Pistol Pete. I like guess straight up like Wyatt Earp, Doc Holliday, Tombstone with the The trench coat that goes all the way to his feet, and I just think that's a really cool. Like, I can just see that being in. um, Okay, it was just cold, no rain. Thanks, thanks Sherlock Holmes for that. Um, I can just see like the the oh another another dog appearance. Who's this? They're everywhere,
0: Carson. This is Cooper. We're just getting introduced to the whole family today. Cooper is uh, needy. They want your love. They they are very needy. They want petted uh, and love twenty four seven. But yes, very very good. Good boy, big uh, giant teddy bear here.
1: Yeah, Colin Cook calls it the duster. I think that's what that's called, that jacket that Pistol Pete was wearing. But I, I can just see um, – I can see, like, the, NCAA, the old like video game, like if you're playing in November in Bedlam on the game, it, it just adjusts to Pistol Pete wearing the, the trench coat. Cause great. I thought it was awesome. I, I couldn't get enough of it. I thought it was just – I know he's worn that before. I just kind of forgot about it, I guess. But I just – I got to give that uh, – Get some love, and, and Brian Metcalf asked if uh, your dog's named after Kenny Cooper. Now that's a that's a deep, deep cut of OSU basketball lore. There, Kenny Cooper.
0: He is not. So this one is actually um, my wife loved the name Cooper for a dog. So the name Cooper was decided before we attributed it to an athlete. Uh, now at the time, Amari Cooper was it's like three years ago. Amari Cooper was balling with Dallas. That great season that he had down there. Uh, Josh Cooper. Well, Josh Cooper probably would have been a good one too, but she, she wanted Cooper. So then I attributed it to an athlete after the fact to Amari Cooper. Um, so, yeah, so we got Emmett, which is Emmett Smith, Cooper, which after the fact was Amari Cooper. Uh, and then our golden retriever is named Vince because my wife's favorite player growing up was Vince Wilfork. She loved Vince Wilfork because he would get the ball and he was 400 pounds and she loved watching him run on like a scoop and score or something. Her favorite player was Vince Wilfork. So that's the golden retriever's namesake.
1: Your wife is so damn cool. Like how many wives know who the hell Vince Wilfork is?
0: Uh, that's a great point. I don't know. She grew up a Patriots fan. Weirdly. I probably, she probably fell in love with Tom Brady when she was like nine years old. And, uh, so yeah, but she loved Vince Wilfork.
1: See, you know, I grew up Florida state fan for people that don't know. That's why the Florida state memorabilia is back there. And I was in college during the heyday of Miami, you know, 2000, 2001 leading into my college career in Oh three. Uh, and Will Fork was so huge. He has that he had that big old pot belly. And they had so Will Fork was a part of that Miami team that I believe had like seven, maybe eight. I think it was seven first round draft picks. Like they were so good. Yeah, they were loaded. So, oh, sorry, Nick, Nick Chabot's getting getting fired up. He's he's saying we need to talk about the national conversation. Let's get there. Oh, we haven't forgotten. I I was I I want to go around the big twelve first, Carson. Yep. And then we'll do the national. Let's do it.
0: Uh, yeah so I I think we have to start in Austin right seven and a half point favorites that is wildly disrespectful to TCU game days down there everybody's pumping up Texas TCU comes in nine and0 the number four team in the country. Carson, I swear, you spend the week on Twitter, you watch the college football shows, you're looking at the lines, doing all this stuff, you would have thought it was a foregone conclusion that Texas was going to run away with that game. Uh, I, I don't remember. I, I, we had a small conversation around in our preview show. I don't remember what I picked. But good for TCU for going down there and standing up. And you know what? Texas gets a BB because Texas, they, they think they're still Texas. And they're not, man. Y'all need to realize where you actually stack up in the pecking order. And this is why Texas Carson and Texas A&M are single-handedly, those two programs are keeping people from having universal respect for recruiting rankings because all these models that tell us who the best teams in the country are, who every year want to tell us that Texas and Texas A&M are amongst the 10 best teams in the country to hell with your models. That is the only thing keeping recruiting rankings rankings from being universally respected I'm tired of hearing about the four and five stars. They're six and four. And guess what? They're probably going to lose one of their last two games. What was I saying in September, Carson? They're a seven and five football team. That's who they are. That is what they exist to be. Good for TCU for going down there and kicking their teeth in.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the encouraging thing for TCU looking forward with the playoff debate that's going to rage on and on, I mean, if they keep winning, it won't matter, is they showed they can win in a different manner. You know, they've, they've played in a lot of shootouts and they've had to make a lot of comebacks come from behind wins. And I think this will go a long way in impressing the committee to go to Austin, a team that was favored over them. And, and believe me, all the sharp money and every, everyone was betting on Texas, even at that, that point spread. And it's, it's just crazy because I remember I used to defend Max Duggan. I do college football pregame shows on channel five with Brian Keating and and he just kept, he kept, and I ended up looking pretty bad because Duggan eventually just wasn't that great. And I always kind of saw some talent there, his mobility. I, I thought he could really evolve into a good quarterback. And I had capitulated. I had said, you know what? You're right, Brian. Like Max Duggan does stink. He kept saying Max Duggan stinks. And I, I had to capitulate. I, I thought he'd, I thought it was a lost cause. And it's funny how this sport and in this, in this world works, Colby, he, he, he comes in as the backup. Chandler Morris wins the job. He gets hurt in the very first game. And now I think he's, he'll, he'll probably be in New York. And if not, he'll be, I think in the college football playoff, they keep winning. So it's a a remarkable season. They're 10 and 0 for the first time since 2010. And uh, yeah, I'm pulling for TCU. Like I I'm all for fresh blood and anyone besides OU and Texas for what they did to the big 12. And I thought Texas was the best team in the league moving forward. And I, I, I kept kind of overlooking the Quinn Ewers factor, Colby, and his inaccuracy. It's now not just becoming a problem. It's, it's a question of is Quinn Ewers, the guy moving forward for Texas, because he completes 43% of his passes in this game. He's completing 55% for the year, which is absolutely horrible. But really after the first one, two, three, four games, he played in his last three Colby, 38% completion, 58 and 43. I mean, he, He is wildly inaccurate. I know he's a true freshman. He'll probably get better, but he's getting them beat, Colby, because they didn't run the football nearly as effectively with B. John Robinson, and I think there's real questions surrounding Ewers and Texas moving forward.
0: No, you're absolutely right. The the question now on Quinn Ewers is not, did he have a bad game? The question now on Quinn Ewers is, is this who he is? This might just be who he is. He might just be a talented guy with a big arm who's not very accurate. If you're not very accurate, you're going to have a problem. I am curious to, whip, to to see what the national conversation is like this week. I know what it's going to be uh, because TCU, the, the committee just wanted to see them be more well-rounded, right? You got and beat teams, you know, 41-38 or 43-40 like they did against Oklahoma State. They want to see a more well-rounded football team. They go to Austin and win 17-10. That's a well-rounded football team. Carson, I want to see them in the playoff because I want to see if one of these Big 12 teams who just puts a magic season together, I want to see how they stack up nationally. I don't know if they play Georgia or Ohio State or whoever, but I want to see it, and I want to see how it how it matches up on that big stage. Uh, you would favor the bigger teams with the the NFL athletes all over the place, but it would not be a foregone conclusion. So I hope TCU makes it to the playoff. Uh, elsewhere around the Big 12, we talked about earlier, the K-State-Baylor result was pretty shocking. Um... That, that tells me a lot about both those teams. I I was blown away. Carson, it lost TV privileges. Uh, I've got the three TV set up going in the living room. We're, we're on full cylinders. I'm going to tweet out a picture this afternoon. It, it was off a of TV by halftime. It, it did not warrant a TV uh, because it was a boring just beat down in Waco.
1: So, I didn't watch the game. It just it appears that Baylor was simply not able to run the football, and, and Blake Shapen's proven to be pretty average. Uh, is that kind of how it played out? Deuce Vaughn over 100 yards, Will Howard. You mentioned it, three touchdown passes. Just how where you were watching was it? Was it kind of like the Oklahoma State performance for Kansas State, where they were just hitting wide open guys for big plays?
0: Uh, it was a lot like the OSU Kansas State game. Yeah, I, I mean, it didn't get away from Baylor quite as bad, but 31-3 is still plenty embarrassing on that big stage on a Saturday night and. Man, I think a lot of it is Kansas State. They are well coached. I mean, they've got guys in the right position at the right time. They run their offense in a way where they, they get guys into space uh, via scheme because you're so worried about what they're doing with the quarterback and the running back uh, and, and all that stuff. I mean, there's a lot for a defense to worry about whenever they play against Kansas State. Not only that, they are physical. They are more physical than just about every team that they play. Kansas State, you want to hit Kansas State? Good luck. Um, I'm, I'm very impressed with Kansas State. I think an all-purple Big 12 championship game could be an absolute just um, great back and forth. So looking forward to that. Texas Tech beats Kansas 43-28, uh, and then West Virginia takes down OU 23-20. We talked about that one a little bit earlier. N- anything else stand out from the OU-West Virginia game, or we've pretty much made our way around
1: it? Yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm trying to figure out how this game, because apparently the, the point spread is out, Colby. Ah, I looked about a half hour ago and I had no line. What are you saying? Well, the commenters are saying that uh, the Bedlam, Sherlock Holmes says the Bedlam line is out. Someone said Oklahoma state is six point dogs and the over under 67 and a half. I love the under, if that's the case, I bet the Oklahoma state, Iowa state under, that was an easy winner. Uh, I think that was like 47 and a half was the OSU Iowa state. I knew we were about to see a big 10 football game that Iowa and Iowa and Illinois would be proud of, but Uh, What do you think about OSU being six-point dogs, Colby? I think that um, I've kind of come to expect that with Oklahoma. They just, even though they're five and five, they're just going to get an immense amount of respect from the bookmakers. Um, Some of that's probably the the questions about Sanders. Can he make it through a whole game? But I would probably have come OU minus three, not six. Uh, Six feels big. Again, we have to remember –
0: Vegas isn't making these lines for people who live within hundred miles of Oklahoma city to place these bets. It's for everybody all over the world. They want all 8 billion people on planet earth betting these games and that ugly, those two ugly interlocking letters, they still carry weight. P- people will still throw their money just at the letters at the logo. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know, man, I, in Spencer, I trust that that's how I'll say it in Spencer. I trust you want to give me six. I'll take them.
1: Uh, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, anything else? Uh, let's go more national. Um, let's see here. Michigan. Somebody looking
0: at OSU plus five in DraftKings, Colorado, uh, which, yeah, sounds about right. Um, Iowa, Wisconsin, did you see that one yesterday? That was disgusting. No. What was the final on that? Uh, I'm not sure what the final was. Iowa was up 24 to 10 and had 146 yards of total offense. I thought, <laughs> some, I thought somebody tweet that out. Uh, yeah, up 24 to 10, oh. 146 yards of offense. It must be so lovely to play in the Big Ten. It was. Uh,
1: someone was sending me the uh, the Big Ten West standings. Apparently, there that's just a complete quagmire. Let's go to the Big Ten West standings here. Also, oh my god, good. it's a. One, two, three, four way tie at the top between Purdue, Illinois, Iowa, and Minnesota. Are you kidding me? It's beautiful. It's art, Carson. It is performance art at this point. This is like, this is the Mona Lisa of Big Ten seasons. (laughs) This is like everything I could have ever hoped for and wanted. I mean, and Illinois was ranked coming into this week. Wow. If, if I want, who do you want out of this list? Purdue, Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota to get to the Big Ten title game? I think it's Purdue because they might lose by seventy.
0: Uh, I think it's Iowa because I think that we need that in prime time. I think I think college football. I think the college football world should be punished for giving the Big Ten credit as much credit as it does. I think the whole college football universe needs punished, and I think Iowa in the Big Twelve championship game in prime time would be the punishment that we're seeking.
1: Oh my god. And I again, I, I do feel bad for Iowa. Because I think they're a program that does things the right way. They're just the shining example of the team that never has to play the big boys on given years. And as again, this time last, in October of last year, they were ranked second in the country, which just shows you how overrated that league is. Carson, uh, I
0: there is one thing I want to touch on. I was watching ESPN Saturday morning. I don't know if it was game day. I don't know what it was. Somebody floated. Maybe it was like a teaser coming into a halftime of one of the games I was watching. Somebody floated the idea... What do we think? An undefeated TCU or a one loss of Oregon? Who's got a better chance? The question on its surface is so insulting that I can't believe it was asked. And then Oregon goes out and loses at home as a 13 and a half point favorite to Washington. They got what they deserved. I was beside myself. There are many things in college football, the, the way it's covered and the narratives that get shaped that really drive me crazy. The should a one loss Oregon team get in over an undefeated TCU about had me ready to take all three of my TVs off the wall.
1: Well, and and that's what I hate. Like, I, I, why is it, why is it a sliding scale of necessity? Because I always hear on like local sports talk radio this year it's TCU, last year it was Oklahoma State. Why, why is the bar different for the Big 12 teams and not the horrible, terrible Pac 12 teams? Like, for instance, it's like, well, if TCU goes undefeated, I think they'll probably get in. But they got to go undefeated. Well, why? The Big Twelve is has the most parity of any conference, top to bottom. You can't rest your starters like Michigan did against Rutgers. Why? Why is it such a sliding scale? Why? Why does the Big Twelve team have to make go undefeated to make the playoff? Why can't you just sit there and say, you know what? They want a tough conference in the Big Twelve. They're in, and y'all, the rest of you guys can figure it out amongst. Because, like, look, the SEC is probably getting two teams. It's simple to me, Colby. It's two SEC teams, the Big Ten champion, and it's TCU if they win the league, regardless of if they lose next week and then they still win the the conference. Like, to me, the Pac-12 is out. What, what has Oregon done? What has USC done? USC made Colorado look frisky. And Colorado is the worst Power 5 team in the country. I watched that first, first half. USC covered. They covered. <laughs> but the fact is, Colby, it's the worst power five team in the country. And USC had third and 25 the entire first half. It was the first time they hadn't scored in a quarter on offense in like all season. And just you have to factor in conference strength. They, they say they don't. You have to. There's no other way to do it. And I just it drives me crazy that the Big 12 has to clear the highest hurdle there is. And that's going undefeated, which Alabama hardly ever goes undefeated. It's so hard to do. That's what drives me crazy is that the requirements are different for the big 12, as opposed to everyone else in the country, even those terrible leagues like ACC and, and uh, PAC 12.
0: Yeah. I don't get it either. Clemson, if things broke, right, could easily get in with a loss. Oregon USC with a loss could easily get in. If things broke, right. TCU with a loss, they're not getting in. They're just not. The committee is a failed experiment. That's Joel. Quatt, Joel Clatt said it a couple of weeks ago. The committee is a failed experiment. The Inability for the committee to look around the country and, and accurately analyze what they're seeing is why it has to be expanded. It's not because the regular season, you know, more teams, it's because the committee can't be trusted to get it right. And they've proven it time and time again. So you've got to do something different. They've got to expand it. They're going to eventually, which will help the Big 12. Uh, but yeah, Tennessee going to get in. It's probably going to be Tennessee, Georgia and then the winner of Ohio State-Michigan will get in. So three of your four are already taken. TCU has to win out to get that fourth spot. If they don't, they'll mess around and they'll give it to USC or they'll give it to a two-loss LSU or a one-loss Clemson uh, or a four-loss Texas, God forbid. You know, it's just the committee's a failed experiment, Carson, um, and and I think that we can all be – just mentally prepare yourself to be frustrated if TCU loses one game because if they do, they're getting left out.
1: Yeah, it's stupid. I, I hate it all. But at least they put TCU four. They clearly have recognized that – yeah, you know, they're undefeated. That matters. <laughs> good, good losses don't matter. Winning oh, does. Winning, winning your games matters. What Apparently. a normal concept in college football. It took nine weeks for them to realize that, I guess. But um, uh, anything else nationally? Again, I, I think USC is a paper tiger. If they, if they play anyone on the national scene, like whoever they play in their bowl game, I'm going to, I'm going to wager against USC. I don't care who they play. I, I said that going into the Utah game. I said the week before. I go, I cannot wait to bet. Utah against USC, because I knew how that game was going to go. And Utah was even favored going in, even though they had two losses playing an undefeated USC. I think they're a paper tiger, totally.
0: Uh, I don't know that I'm totally with you on USC, and I'll give you one reason. Two reasons. Reason one is Caleb, reason two is Williams. I think he is really, really good. And I think a player of his caliber can elevate a team to a status that the rest of the team doesn't belong, I think Caleb might be that guy. So there are certainly teams that are physical that I would pick to, to just kind of physically beat USC up a little bit in a bowl game. But if they get into a new year six game and, and they get against kind of another finesse team, I don't know. I still think Caleb might be able to outscore them. So because of how special I think Caleb is, I think he elevates the, the entire USC team.
1: Well, they lost Travis Dye, who I thought, you know, know Morgan, Morgan, he did a lot of the dirty work i mean he he was so good at getting seven eight yards a pop just making down so much easier for for Caleb Williams that losing him is gonna like I thought he was kind of as great as Williams is and certainly he is amazing uh Travis Dye didn't get any credit and I thought he really carried that offense a lot of times so i I didn't realize he had gone down that uh, uh that's he, a summer, he's done it was a bad bad knee injury That's tough man I hate that you hate to see yeah. that. Um, so yeah, I mean, Goodwin for Oklahoma State, I guess uh, we will You have any questions, fire them off, but we'll kind of start to wrap up here. Uh, again, this is kind of where I wanted to leave it. I'm going to try and share my screen one more time here. <laughs> this is kind of where I'm at, Colby. Like I said it weeks ago, I said, you know, some people have that dog in them. I said, no, 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 no. Dogs have Spencer Sanders in them. That's what this guy is. That's what he is genetic makeup is he is just a guy that he doesn't care if he's got one shoulder or two he doesn't care what the score is he doesn't even care what day it is he'll go play on a Wednesday in the parking lot and he's gonna he's gonna go ball out and he's the guy that you want to pick he's gonna be team captain he's gonna be one of the two team captains because he's the best player and you just hope he picks you because you know his team's winning and I know he's dealt with a ton of injuries and it's it's going to be a what could have been this year, Colby, what it could have, should have, would have in terms of injuries, and we all know how the season's played out. But I thought this year really reiterated that the dude is just a supreme talent, and, and he's just good at football and a gamer and the guy that you want in the foxhole with you. So I, I, that's where I kind of leave this. And I could not have been more fired up, Colby, when I saw the quote from him after the game. He said, I'm too tough for that, S-H-I-T, in yeah, terms too of a- sitting a- out the rest of a- the year. A- yeah said i'm playing bedlam we don't have to play any more games in the media with you know will he play my gunny said i don't talk about injury we don't, we don't have to do any of that because we know we know he's a dog we know dogs are spencer and we know he's going to play in bedlam he's going to leave it all out there win loser draw and that's all you can really ask for your quarterback and i just i can't say enough good things about the kid
0: yeah it is somebody asks uh doesn't spencer have an extra year yes he does we'd don't know if Spencer's going to use the extra year, but yes, he could come back for even another year at Oklahoma State, which if he decides to do that, obviously as a fan base, just find him walking around campus in Stillwater and just throw flowers at his feet, um, you know, unroll a red carpet in front of him. If he drops his book, somebody pick him up and hand him to him. Um, yeah, if he decides to come back, that would be incredible. But no, it's just, um, it's been fun watching him. It's been fun watching him. Carson, there was a chance that we had watched him play his last football at Oklahoma State that day in Manhattan. And I didn't want it to end like that. Um, I, I don't want it to end. I, I want it to keep going. But if it does, it can't be the way it went down that day in Manhattan. I'm glad he was able to take the field against Iowa State. I'm glad he'll be able to be out there against Oklahoma on Saturday. Um, again, you, you give me Spencer and six points, sure, I'm in. I, I, I'll ride with Spencer. Uh, OSU's going to have the best player on the field on either team. OSU's going to have the toughest player on the field on either team. I, I like that.
1: Yeah, Ooh, I guess it is Bedlam week, isn't it?
0: It is. It's here, Carson. Get ready to be miserable for the next six days until uh, we finally decide whether we can be happy.
1: Well, it, it's always been a Bedlam tradition. Uh, it started with me and Kyle Porter having our, our parents on to discuss Bedlam, usually share some horror stories from the past. Uh, now that I've watched a football game with your, your mom, Kim, um, I'm a little scared about some of her opinions she might throw out there. She, she gets fired up. I thought about uh, warning
0: you whenever you came over that day about my mom and the way she watches football games. I was like, no, nah, he just needs to experience it.
1: No, it was great. And I'm and I, i I'm like her. Like, I get mad at the refs too. So, I, I can't wait to have her on. We'll probably have my, my pops on as well. He'll probably just bemoan the fact that they didn't wear the brand on the helmet enough this year. But it's always a fun time. It's always around, you know, Thanksgiving season. And uh, it's important to uh, to talk bedlam with the folks because they, they, they've seen far more squinky than you and I have over their time periods, but um, I, I love Bedlam. I love Bedlam week. I'm glad it's not the last game of the year. Cause again, I've mentioned that before. I think, I think that puts a little added weight on, on Mike Gundy's shoulders and how he approaches that ball game. So I think it's good, Colby, that it's not the finale.
0: Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. And you come in, uh, it's not Thanksgiving week, number one. So you're not worried about guys and their families, all that other stuff going on that happens around the holiday it's a normal week. It's not the last week of the season. Go out. Go through your normal stuff. Get out there on Saturday and go beat an inferior opponent. And that's what it is. It uh, hasn't been that way a ton. But, yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to Saturday. I Bedlam week always feels extra long to me. I don't know. The days just drag. I just I wanted to get here so badly. And I, I just so badly want for it to go well that uh, I feel like Bedlam week just absolutely drags. But here we are. Six days, Carson, and we'll know. We'll, we'll know where we stack up in the state.
1: Yep. I can't wait. Uh, Again, we'll get back with you uh, this week. Uh, We might question from no name yet. He wants to know if Eddie Radosovich will come on the show. We we have Eddie on the show sometimes too. So maybe we'll do a megapod. Maybe, maybe uh, if you're too busy, Colby, I can just do a quick couple minutes with Eddie and then have our parents on and just do a, a grand, a grand Bedlam preview. I, uh, I will try to make sure I'm there
0: for all of that. A, a megapod for a Bedlam preview sounds good. Uh, what is it? Seven and three v five and five? Let's get after it.
1: Getting OU from a bowl game would be uh, spicy. Oh, that would man. be spicy. Five and seven down there. It's got a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure our podcast after the Kansas game would sound like the one that I was, tr- I was listening to earlier today with Eddie and Carrie and uh-huh. on Sooner Scoop of getting their perspective leading into Bedlam, but uh, it's it's full meltdown mode in Norman, uh, Colby, and, and that, that's one more. Po- and this is the last thing I'll say, and I'll, I'll toss to you, and you can you can send us off. That's the one thing. It's it's Oklahoma. If you get them facing any level of adversity, they crumble mentally, especially on defense, but also offensively too. We've seen that week in week out as well. If Oklahoma State can get off to a good start, Colby. Throw some adversity in their face. I really, really, really like their chances because Oklahoma has shown no uh, intestinal fortitude all year long, and I think they can rip they can rip their heart out early and often in that game. And I hope that's what we see, but we shall see. Thanks again for joining me, and I'll, I'll let you uh, wrap things up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I hope you're right. Uh, Yeah, Saturday's going to be a lot of fun. Look forward to the preview pod. Thanks, everybody, for listening, for joining us on YouTube. Love all the comments, the questions. It's great stuff. Makes it a ton of fun uh, for us to do it this way. Everybody who's listening, uh, normal audio on the podcast. Appreciate you guys. We're back later in the week. Good win yesterday, as always. Go Pokes.